This is The Kicker, CJR's podcast about all things media. I'm Pete Vernon. This week, Facebook finally got ahead of the story. The social media giant removed several pages and fake accounts it said were part of a political influence campaign intended to sow division ahead of the midterm elections. But is this all too little too late? Then, for our second topic... Donald Trump was in Tampa on Tuesday night, holding a rally in front of his supporters. The vitriol on display towards the media that's been a feature of these events since the campaign seemed to be ratcheted up several notches. We'll discuss why this is a problem and where it might be headed. But first, Facebook. I've got CJR digital editor Noska Renner with me in studio and joining us from across the northern border, CJR chief digital writer Matthew Ingram. So Matthew, I hope everything's well in Toronto. Facebook put out a statement yesterday that appeared to be a departure from the way they've handled things since the election. Yeah, they announced that they'd taken action against a a network, as they called it, of pages and accounts um, that they accused of what they called inauthentic behavior, uh, which is bad uh, when it comes to Facebook. And they suggested that, that this network of pages exhibited behavior similar to what the Internet Research Agency did, the the notorious Russian troll farm. Um, so they shut down the accounts, and they they really made a big sort of splash, a big full-court press about doing this. They said they went into great detail. They, they had multiple executives post blog posts about it. They made a point of saying that they talked to Congress about it, and they gave it all sorts of information. Um, so really, I think, trying to get out in front of this as opposed to how they handled the election. So what exactly was similar about the way that these pages were acting to the way that the Internet Research Agency pages acted? So they didn't go into a whole bunch of detail about what they thought was similar. There were connections that they that sort of led them in that direction. One was that uh, page, one of the ones they shut down, um, an event that that page promoted was shared by an IRA account before that account was shut down. So there was a sort of linkage there that I guess got them started thinking that maybe they were related or that maybe they were sort of engaged in similar types of behavior. They also talked about just the fact that they were posting events and trying to get people to do things that so pretending to do things that they weren't actually doing. That's the inauthentic behavior part. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me the most about this announcement from Facebook, uh, which, I mean, we should say it's a good thing that they're taking a bit more of an active role, but it was just the way that they trumpeted that active role. It seems like some of the criticism that they've faced over the past several months may have played a role in that. Definitely. I mean, I think there's no question that... that sort of what they've gone through uh, related to the IRA and just related to, you know, having to show up in front of Congress and having to kind of talk about how they failed to take action. I think it really, it, it definitely got them more interested in in trying to show that they are being proactive, to use a word I hate, but that they are kind of trying to take action against these things before they become a problem instead of after. I think what I find unbelievable about this whole thing is that 
even after the congressional hearings and after, you know, Facebook was publicly pilloried for basically allowing this to happen, that somehow they are still in charge of what the public knows and doesn't know about what they're doing. And I know that they're trying to get ahead of the narrative about the midterms and everything, but I maybe it's just the, the tech skeptic or the conspiracy theorist in me, but I'm just like, okay, they told us about 30 pages, like what else is happening behind the scenes and what isn't happening? And it sort of bothers me that there's no way to confirm what they're saying half of the time. I think that's a great point. I mean, that's part of the problem is that we are relying on what they say about what is happening. We don't have any sort of independent evidence. We can't kind of fact check the things that Facebook is saying. We have to sort of go on their, you know, their word and and that this is what, not only that this is what is occurring, but that there isn't a vast kind of iceberg of other stuff that they're not telling us. I thought it was interesting that in the UK's report on disinformation, they specifically called out Facebook for not being transparent and for not giving enough information about the things that it does or about who's being reached by what information. I mean, they're, one of their central complaints is that they're not getting enough transparency from Facebook. And yet, on the other hand, it's trying to say, look at how transparent we are about this thing that we shut down. And, I mean, Matthew, you should, you should correct me if I'm wrong, but... Do they even have, like, any greater government oversight than they did two years ago? Like, do they have, like, a lawyer sitting in their offices? Well, isn't that part of what this is trying to avoid, right? Like, Facebook has been pilloried, as you said, in front of uh, congressional lawmakers. They've, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's interview last week uh, with Recode where he took their questions about Infowars and turned it somehow into a bigger PR crisis by comparing it to Holocaust denial. It seems like this is an attempt to get out ahead of the narrative or change the narrative and avoid that sort of oversight. It's totally amazing that they don't even have an auditor. I feel like even voting machines have auditing systems built up around them. Like if, if there was disruption in that, we would we would demand some kind of outside accountability. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with Pete that this is this is, you know, partly an attempt to avoid or to forestall potential regulation of all sorts of, you know, varieties. Like they're trying to show, look, we're on the job, we're taking action, so please don't regulate us, please don't do the kinds of things that say Mark Warner recommend or discussed in this paper that he was circulating. Please don't, you know, weaken the protections of Section 230. Please don't force us to do all sorts of things or to have a regulator, you know, basically controlling what we do. Do either of you guys give Facebook any percentage of credit just for pure goodwill that maybe they really did get caught off guard and now they're operating in uh, the best interests of the country? I don't think that companies ever legitimately have goodwill. Goodwill is not something that a company possesses. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I think I sort of go back and forth in a way. I mean, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is a bad person. I don't think I think he has good intentions. I think he wanted to build something good and he thinks it is good and does a lot of good. And, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't disagree with him about a lot of that. But I, I do think that they should bear a certain amount of blame 
for just basically ignoring this problem. I mean, thousands of people and billions of dollars at work and and his and his argument basically to Congress was, well, we just didn't spend a lot of time thinking about how it could be used for bad purposes. Like that's a dereliction of duty, effectively. Yeah, the Frankenstein monster uh, analogies are almost too easy to make. Is it just that they've lost control of this thing that they've built? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think in a very realistic sense, there's there's never been anything like this. There's certainly no. You know, on the one hand, you could say, well, uh, how could they control something like this? Something like this has literally never existed before. So, but, you know, they built it. Uh, they're monetizing it. Um, you know, it, it, to some extent, it's it's it behooves them to figure out how to stop it from doing bad things. So as we head towards the midterm elections, which it seems like they, they said this was an influence campaign intended to disrupt. Should we expect that we're going to be hearing more of this from Facebook as they continue to try and get ahead of the story? I think we're definitely going to hear more. Um, I guess to Nausicaa's point, the question is, are we going to see kind of uh, trophies trotted out where it isn't really that important or it isn't something that's actually affecting things dramatically and are there going to be lots of other things that we don't hear about and are they going to give us the tools to be able to make those kinds of assessments ourselves right Nasca is going to stick around for our second topic, which begins with this clip from CNN's Jim Acosta as he covered President Trump's rally in Tampa on Tuesday. And Wolf, just to give you a sense as to what's happening right now, you can hear there is a chorus of boos and other chants from this Trump crowd here in Tampa, Florida. They're saying things like CNN sucks, go home, and fake news. Wolf, obviously, all of those things are false. We're staying right here. We're going to do our job and report on this rally. Acosta tweeted out a video of the crowd writing, quote, I'm very worried that the hostility whipped up by Trump and some in conservative media will result in somebody getting hurt. We should not treat our fellow Americans this way. The press is not the enemy. Well, apparently the president's son didn't feel that way because Eric Trump retweeted Acosta's video of the crowd and simply wrote truth. So, Noska, we've seen this sort of behavior or behavior like this, at least, from crowds at Trump rallies since the campaign. But as many journalists noted on Tuesday, it seemed like what was going on in Tampa was a level above the sort of vitriol that we've seen before. Yeah, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. My sense is that over the past two years, the anger against the press has escalated, not in terms of Trump's own rhetoric, which has been just pretty consistent and constant about like the failing New York Times and whatever he chooses to say, but that what we saw on Tuesday night was a step beyond because it was the Trump supporters themselves who were putting the words into their own mouths and chanting CNN sucks and trying to prevent Jim Acosta from doing a broadcast. Right. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I went up and covered the primary in New Hampshire, and there would always be a moment during the rallies when Trump would point towards the press pen at the back And he would say, those people won't tell you the truth, they're against us, that sort of stuff. And the crowd would turn around and boo. But there was nothing that I saw that was like the videos we got out of Tampa. 
And what you said is interesting, that it was the crowd themselves who have now kind of embraced Trump's rhetoric, the enemy of the people stuff, and have taken what he said to, again, another level. So what to you about those videos is the most disturbing thing? Is it the hatred that it seems like they're embracing? Or what's different? I don't know what's different because it does seem like this has escalated, like you've said, as there's been more and more negative reporting about what's going on in the administration, whether that's Russia or other things. But what worries me is, I guess, twofold. One, there's this general fear that undermining trust in the press will have implications that last well beyond Trump's presidency, however long that is. In a more immediate sense, it's that somebody's going to get hurt that there's going to be some sort of violence. Might not be at a rally because there's security going into those things, but it's that one of his supporters uh, will take matters into their own hands. And the addition to the crowd of supporters of this bizarre conspiracy theory, QAnon, which we can go into, but is a whole nother bag of worms, that makes things even more concerning. And on top of that, it was troublesome that the White House decided not to denounce what happened at the rally. Sarah Sanders was asked about it at the briefing on Wednesday, and she refused to condemn that sort of behavior. No one was being violent last night in terms of of hitting anybody, and no broadcaster was broadcasting state secrets. They were trying to do stand-ups at a public rally, and you had people trying to yell over them, preventing them from doing their jobs, and yelling that their network sucks on live TV. Does the White House support that or not? While we certainly support freedom of the press, we also support freedom of speech, uh, and we think that those things go hand in hand. Aisha. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is problematic, right? Like, having the White House press secretary stand up and not, you know, she's walking the line. She's she's playing both sides. She's kind of like, I mean, I don't think anybody in the press believes what she's saying, but she's doing the thing that the Trump administration often does, which is that she's using PR language to basically take the side of Trump supporters who are being disruptive to the operations of the press and saying that they have as much right to speak as the press does. Many fine people on both sides. Right, exactly. When that's not really the issue here, I think this is one of those issues that people outside of the media would often look at and say, like, look, this is really navel-gazing, like, why are you guys concerned about being yelled at on TV? Like, that everybody has a right to do that kind of thing or to try to disrupt speech. Right. You're not digging ditches. You're not standing on a factory floor. You're not serving the country. Or you're just journalists. You get to sit in front of a computer and write stuff. Right. Or that, like, there's it's not violence, so there's no problem. Um, and why does the media you know, why is the media so defensive of its own professional operations when it's not, you know, as focused on the professional operations of any other industry? But I do kind of see, I do see a a broader, a broader fear here, which is that journalists, I'm not too worried about journalists. I think that this is like going to be annoying and maybe will spark violence in the future, but I don't see that as, you know, the only necessary and logical conclusion of people protesting at this level. What I do see is a group of Trump supporters who are now, you know, two years after basically Trump uh, 
was really campaigning for the presidency, that he has been able to rally these people into a hatred of a group that they did not hate before. A very small group and, you know, a very privileged group in some ways. But if you replaced anything that they were saying in these rallies with anything about immigrants, for instance, that would be really scary. Yeah, that's a good point. And to me, it's the ability to, to whip up hatred like this that really freaks me out. So if they were chanting something racial or something about immigrants or some other group of people, that's what would be more concerning? Right. And I don't mean to like put an equivalency where it wouldn't be or something. I think that this is why I say I'm not so concerned for journalists. I think that journalists, better than anybody, know how to operate under given laws and they know their rights. And I, I just I'm concerned for people who end up at the end of a similar level of yelling and hatred that and they don't know how to get out of that situation in a way that is working within the laws like journalists are so good at that journalists know when they can go somewhere they know how to press the police they know what their right to be somewhere is and other people don't know that as well well i think in defense of journalists who are really concerned about this and the potential for violence this is all taking place just over a month after someone walked into a newsroom and killed five reporters in Annapolis. And that was not related to Trump and his specific criticisms of any media outlet. But that idea and and that reality that violence can be visited upon a newsroom is a real thing, right? In the New York Times meeting with Trump in July, when A.G. Salzberger told him that newsrooms were now posting arms, armed guards outside of their newsrooms, Trump said, oh, they, they weren't already? You know, I, I do think there's an aspect of physical fear uh, that comes with this sort of vitriol. I mean, the, the people in these videos screaming and giving the finger and their feet away from Acosta, who's filming this. Well, it's, it's definitely a demonizing that's happening, and it's definitely blind to the humanity of journalists who are just doing their jobs. Yeah, that's the part that I just... I find troubling. Well, and that goes to what you're saying about if it was any other group, the idea of otherizing a group, saying you're not on our side. And that's the concern. Um, I don't expect that this is going to get better anytime soon. And to other the group that is specifically designed to be the voice of the people, uh, there are many ironies of the Trump administration, (laughs) but that is definitely one of them. Definitely. Well, Noska, thanks for sticking around for both topics to talk through it with me. Thanks, Pete. That was our show. Thanks for kicking it with us. Thanks to my colleagues, Matthew Ingram and Noska Renner, for coming by to discuss the news of the day. Please check out all the great work we've got up at CJR.org, and we'll see you next week.